What does the Bible really say about sex? Spoken by Pastor Peter on. So uh, we launched this new series. It's called "What Does the Bible Really Have to Say?" Dot dot dot. And what we would hope to accomplish over the next several weeks is really focus on topics that you actually need to hear. Or topics that maybe you might be wrestling with in your own lives, and you don't know how to process it as a Christian. We're going to go there over the next. I think it's about 12 weeks. We're going to go there as a church and discuss really difficult subject matters and topics that maybe a lot of churches don't want to talk about. Uh, the studies have shown. I did some research this week. Uh, only 10% of Christians today in America say that they read their Bibles more than three to four times a week. 10%. So that means 90% of you in this room, you're reading your Bibles less than that in a week. Some people, a majority of the Christians, are reading it maybe once a month or so. And when that happens, something very dangerous. You're in a precarious place in your life because what begins to happen is that you begin to look for truth that's not in the Word of God. And let's just establish this right from the get-go: the Bible is God's supreme way of speaking to us. His truths. Can I get an amen to that? I'm going to say that one more time. The Bible is God's supreme way of how He communicates His truth to you and to me. Amen. And when we read the, the less we read the Bible, what begins to happen is the less we look to the Bible to define what truth. You and I should be living by today. What should we really value? And then we look for those truths in the world. And that's how dangerous it becomes in our own lives, and we not only hurt ourselves at a spiritual level, but we hurt others in the process. So for the next 12 weeks, we're going to go there as a church, and we're going to really ask the question: What does the Bible really say? And today, I want to talk to you about what does the Bible really say about sex. We got to talk about that. I'm actually kind of excited to share with you this topic. I know some people are—they don't. Really like to talk about this topic, but I'm actually pretty excited for us to talk about it because I do believe that we have to get into Scripture and we got to talk about what does God really think about sex. Because when I was growing up in the church, I don't know about you, but I was taught that sex is a sin. That when you begin to have sexual desires in your own bodies, and that all of a sudden you're starting to commit sin, that God is not able to handle what you might be fantasizing about or what you might be thinking about. Right, and where do we get that? I mean, I think a lot of us can relate to that. That we grew up in church traditions where our youth pastors or our pastors told us, "Don't have sex. Don't you have it? It's a sin. If you do, God is going to be very angry with you. So you're only allowed to have sex when you get married. That's it. And so, like you know, sex is sinful. But then when you're married, God can tolerate it. That is the picture that has been painted for many of us in the church. And that's why, for a lot of us, we've surrendered sex to the world, because we think God wants no part of it, and that's really sad and is tragic. Have you ever thought about where does that come from? Where does that idea come from? Where church leaders and pastors have sort of taught this really inappropriate theology to you and I? It really comes from the fourth century by a theologian by the name of Augustine. Augustine believed that sex is a sin. He believed that sex only happened or resulted after the fall of Adam and Eve. There was no way Augustine believed that Adam was actually sexually aroused by Eve. He felt that sex resulted as a result of the fall, and that's where a lot of us, since the fourth century, where the church has really embraced this improper theology of sex is a sin. 
Augustine believed that sex is only merely for procreation. The only reason why you have sex is to have children. And we're going to learn that that is actually not the case. So today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about what does the Bible really say about sex? We're going to go there. We're going to talk about it. Does God like sex? Would Jesus be pleased with our restless urges, our fantasies, our irrational itchings towards sexual experiences? Would he? Can we integrate sexuality with Christian holiness? Or maybe a better way to say that is, can we integrate Christian, our sexuality with spirituality? Can they go hand in hand? Is that even okay? Can a Christian person think about the mystery of his or her own sexuality and rejoice and be glad in it? That's what we're going to talk about because unfortunately you and I live in a culture where we have surrendered sex to the world. What I mean by that is simply this. For a lot of us in this room, we have surrendered sex to the world in the sense when you and I engage in sex, we do it without God. We do it without the Holy Spirit. And that's pretty tragic. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that is such a tragic place to be. And as a result, we end up getting to a place where we see sex the way most folks who are not Christians see it today. So what does the Bible really have to say about sex? What are some of the things that we can learn? So turn with me to Genesis 1. And when you read Genesis 1, you're going to find that God is like this amazing artist. The universe is his canvas. And he starts to paint the universe, right? And with every brushstroke, you see that God does something beautiful. He takes a step back and he says, it is good. It is good. And in this account in Genesis chapter 1, you'll find that God says something that was going to teach you and I about Sexuality. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We'll look at verses 27 and 28. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Uh, just really quick, when God says reign over, he doesn't mean rule over, do whatever you want. What he's saying is that he wants us to be good stewards, that we are to be good stewards. We are to care. We are to, in many ways, parent the earth, caring for God and the animals. All right, Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 to 25. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from a man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord, this is a hard topic. This is not easy to talk about, but Lord, we must. We must because um, how we practice sex can be the difference between heaven or hell. And so God, I pray that you'll just be with us. And Lord, I know I am not necessarily the right person to be speaking on this topic. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I pray, God, that as we look at this text, as we dig deep into it, would you help us, God, to really redeem what you have created? And I pray, God, that for any in this room that have an addiction towards lust, and every day they fall prey to that addiction, I pray you deliver them. I pray you'd help them. I pray that you would show them that they are so much more than just their sexual 
desires and their addictions. I pray, God, that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room today would indeed be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Before we talk about what does the Bible really have to say about sex, let me just talk to you first about what is the problem with sex in our culture today? What is the problem with sex in our culture today? Here it is. You ready for this? The problem with sex in our culture today is that sex is an idol. Sex is an idol. An idol is anything that's more important than God himself. That's an idol. That is idolatrous type of worship. And what sex has become in our world today is that it has become more important than God. We are obsessed with sex. We are just absolutely obsessed with it. We are addicted to watching things that are sexually explicit. We are, we are willing to do whatever it takes, hurt whoever we want to hurt for the sake of our own sexual desires and our lustful addictions. And think about how crazy that sounds for a moment. Think about what an orgasm is for just a second, if I can just go there. An orgasm only lasts, what, weeks? Days? No, seconds. It lasts seconds, and we are willing to do whatever it takes. It is the greatest obsession of our society today for something that only lasts seconds. And as a result of that, what are we willing to do? We are willing to hurt our people that we love. We are willing to destroy our marriages. We are willing to objectify people, have sex with ourselves, do things that only last a couple of seconds. When you really think about it, it's strange, isn't it? That we're willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of an orgasm that only lasts seconds. There is a problem with that. There is a problem with that. And the reason why so many of us are struggling today with sex, whatever it might be, it might be just casual sex. Some of you might have sex partners. You know, that's, I'm not naive to believe that that doesn't happen even in the church. Over the past 18 years, I've heard some crazy stuff that I am blown away by hearing in our church that has made me so sad and has allowed me to grieve the realities of how you and I view sex and how broken and messed up it is. Some of you have boyfriend and girlfriends and you're married. When you travel, you go. You are committing constant adultery on your spouse. And maybe it's because you say, because your spouse doesn't love you the way you deserve to be loved, you're being neglected at home, but make no mistake about it, you're still committing adultery. Some of you are so addicted to pornography you cannot stop masturbating. Even though you don't want to, you just can't because it is an addiction that you're suffering from today. And yet you don't think or feel or have a sense of contrition at all about some of the things that we're doing. And we all know some of the other disgusting things that happen because of some perversion or sexual perversions like rape and molestations and different things like that, all because somebody has such a warped and disgusting view of sex. When you and I surrender something that God has given to us or has created, I want you to know something. It becomes disgusting. It becomes perverted. And we destroy what God has intended it to be. So what does the Bible really have to say about sex? Because it has become an idol in our society today. And listen, if you're, I don't care what age group you are, but I, I feel for the younger ones here today. Because yeah. I know for some of us, as we're young, I used to be young, I'm not young anymore. It's hard. Yeah. The struggle is real, isn't it, young people? It's real. So what does the Bible have to teach us about sex? Here's the first thing. Here's the first thing that you and I need to know. The Bible teaches us that sex is good. 
because God created it. Sex is good because God created it, meaning sex is a gift. If God created sex, don't you think God cares about how you practice it? Think about that for just a moment. All right, let's, well, let's first look at Genesis 1.28. Then God blessed and then said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, all right? When God says be fruitful and multiply, that is, what do you think he's talking about there? He's saying that you are to have sex. So what God, what Adam and Eve were doing was that they were having sex before they fell, before they ate of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. They were actually having sex. So Augustine is wrong. He believed that sex happened as a result of the fall. He was wrong, this fourth century theologian. Adam and Eve were having sex before the fall because God says be fruitful and multiply. So that, what that teaches you and I is that God created sex. Therefore, it is good. Amen? Let's say that. Let me get the amen again. Let, let me believe you for a moment here, all right? God created sex. Therefore, it is good. Amen? amen. It is a gift. And it truly is a gift. And so for just a moment, just think about this for a second, because so many of you, there is a dichotomy between how you practice sex and God. If God created sex, don't you think he would care about how you practice it? Why would you not give God any regard to how you practice sex? Why do you live your life completely on the opposite spectrum of where you think God might be? Is there God or spirituality when you are having sex? I'm talking to the married couples here. Does the Holy Spirit leave the bedroom when you have sex with your spouse? Why do we separate the two? If God created it, don't you think God cares about how you practice it? If you're single, don't you think God cares about how you practice it? Don't you think he gives a you-know-what about how you and I practice sex? He does. He does. It's really important for us to remember, and this is it's important for us to know, that the majority of our sexual experiences have been affected by the fall. It's, it's our, the majority of your sexual experience and my sexual experience is really a direct result of our sinful nature. It's a result of our fall. And that's why there is so much distortion. When we think about sex and sexual temptations and different things like that, our sinful nature has taken its course. And for a lot of us, we've allowed our brokenness or our sinful nature to sort of have a monopoly on the area of sex. But I want you to know something that God created sex, so it cannot just be your sinful nature where you integrate your sexual experience. It also has to be your spiritual nature and how you integrate your sexual nature, okay, amen? amen. Okay, very quiet here today. <laughs> All right. <sighs> to put it simply, sexual sin lies not in being too sexual, but I believe sexual sin occurs because we're not being sexual enough in the way God wants you and I to be. God created sex. It is so good. Metro, God's not a prude. He's anything but that. God created this thing that many of you have taken him away from. And now it's time for us as Christians to realize and integrate our sexuality with our own spirituality and say that it is good. Stop just allowing your brokenness. We're all broken people, right? Stop, uh, stop entertaining sex with just your broken nature. I hope that a lot of you can realize that your spirituality and your sexuality actually go hand in hand. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in just a moment, all right? You see, sex was 
was not just merely for procreation. Some Christians will say, well, it's, it's just for procreation. Actually, I've met a couple once, and they said the only time they've had sex, count how many children I have, Peter. That's it. And that's so tragic. Because again, they have grown up in a tradition being taught that sex is a sin. Uh, when I was at, I was a part of a church in California and there was a, a woman that I got to meet. She was in my Bible study, got to know her a bit. She met a guy in the small group. They fell in love. I got to know the, the woman a little bit because she lived in the same town that I lived in. And she shared with me that before she became a Christian, she actually was sexually active. She had several partners. But then when she became a Christian in college, she became a, vo- a born again virgin. She says she would save herself for her husband, and that is such a noble thing to do, that she said, I am going to save myself now for my future husband. Many years later, after college, she finally meets this guy in a small group. They hit it off, they fall in love, they get engaged, and they're getting ready to get married. And she said to me, she goes, you know, he's so spiritual, Peter. He never really makes a pass at me. He's the first guy I've ever met that didn't want to, like, just have sex with me. I really respect this guy. They got married... And he couldn't have sex with her. He didn't want to have sex with her because every time he did, he thought he was committing a sin. It destroyed her. She had saved herself for her husband when she became a Christian, was so looking forward to engaging in sex again. But her, her husband didn't want to have sex with her because every time he had sex with her, he believed he was committing a sin because that is the church tradition in which he has grown up in. They had gone through years of therapy sex therapy, they're at a much better place now, but I want you to know that the damage has been done. Some of you married couples, I don't know what traditions you guys have grown up in, but you need to repent today because you still believe having sex with your spouse is a sin. No. God created sex. It is so good, especially when you practice it within the confines of marriage. The church's tragic inability to teach people a healthy theology and an understanding of sex has really led to us where we have surrendered it to the world in such a pace where we allow our sinful natures to indulge in whatever sexual pleasures that we long for. And it's a dangerous place to be. God created sex, therefore it is good. That's the first thing you need to know about what the Bible says about sex. The second thing that you need to know is that the Bible teaches us that sex is about knowing our spouse intimately. Sex is about knowing our spouse intimately. It's not just this physical act. Sex is not just for uh, you know, seconds of orgasm. Sex is so that you can know your spouse intimately, all right? Genesis 1:27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean to be created in God's image? Have you ever thought about that? We've talked about this in the past. To be created in God's image doesn't just have to do with your human anatomy. It's so much more than that. To be created in God's image is to be created for union. It's to be created for intimacy. It's to be created for this oneness between your spouse, your husband, and wife. That is what it means to be created in God's image. We were created for community. You were created to live in intimacy with other people. The greatest form of intimacy that you and I can live in on a human level is actually in marriage. Because the Trinity is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That language is the three are one. 
right? The only other relationship that we see in the Bible that comes close to this language of the three or one, the Trinitarian language, is actually in a, in a relationship between a husband and a wife because Genesis says, the man leaves his mother and father and unites with his wife and the two become one flesh. All right, so what is sex really about? What does the Bible teach us about that? It teaches us that you and I can be deeply more unified in intimate communion with our spouse. That is what sex is for. Yes, the orgasms are good. It's good to go deep into that stuff. It's good to explore and, and, you know, and, 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 and encourage and encourage you to go deeper with your spouse within that. But really at the essence of what sex is, it's to go deeper in knowing your spouse. That's what it's all about. And that's why in Genesis 2.24, again, it says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in to one. So again, like, let me just explain this to you. Our sexuality and our spirituality are two sides of the same coin. You can't separate your spirituality from your sexuality. And the reason why it's so easy for us as Christians that we fall and when our dark sides or our sinful nature takes over in terms of our sexual experiences, it's because we have separated our spirituality from our sexuality. But they're two sides of the same coin. Let me just explain, all right? Our spirituality is our longing to know and be known by God, isn't it? Our spirituality is this desire to want to be known and be known by God. That is it, right? We want to know God and be known by him with our mind, our body, our spirit, our emotions. We want that. And that's why the Bible teaches us to worship God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our bodies. The Bible teaches us that all the time. So our sexuality, therefore, then, is our deep desire for us to connect deeply with another person. Our sexuality is a longing to know and be known by another person on a physical, on an emotional, and on a spiritual level. It's about loving others as we love ourselves, isn't it? So our spirituality and our sexuality is our deep longing to know and be known by God and by others. Both involve a call to learn the true meaning and practice of sex. The word, the Hebrew word to know is yada. And every time I think of that word, I think of that Seinfeld episode, yada, yada, yada. But the word yada in the Hebrew means to know. To know. That word is used in the Old Testament in terms of our relationship with God, to know God in that way, but it's also used in the Old Testament when it refers to sexual intercourse. Yada implies contact, intimacy, and relation. And that's how we know God and each other, through that. And you know how it feels, that you might be in relationships with some people for a long time, and they still don't know you. Doesn't that hurt? You're like, look, we grew up together. You still don't know me, mom and dad, right? Some of you are married and you're like, how long have we been married, honey? You still don't know me? And you know how painful that can be, that no matter how much you are with someone, they still don't know you. We do that with God. Some of you have been Christians since birth. But do you know God? Yeah, you might know God with your mind and some things that you read in the scriptures, but do you know the God in the Bible through a relationship with him? See, this word yada, what it means, it means to truly know someone. And so this is why God gives us sexual desires. It's because when we have these sexual desires, we want to truly know our spouse. That's why sex is about us truly intimately knowing more of our spouse and our partners. And our partners. And so my encouragement to you is that you would see sex as this desire for you to want to grow in greater intimacy 
with your spouse. And so if I can just speak to our singles community, because you're like, well, this doesn't help me at all, because I'm not married, Peter. I get that. I think the older we get, and the older you are as a single, this gets harder, doesn't it? And I get that. I understand that. And for sometimes, I think if you're single, you think that maybe you'll never get to a place where you're going to get married. And I, I want to just say a couple things about that, if you'll just let me. I, I cannot believe that if you truly have a desire to want to get married, that God would leave you high and dry. I cannot believe that. I hope that you will never believe that God will leave you high and dry. My encouragement to you is a couple things, though. Don't use that as an excuse to have premarital sex. Don't say, you know what, I may never get married, so let me just have sex. Don't use that as an excuse, because then what you're doing is you're separating your spirituality from your sexuality. Don't do that, all right? Now, my encouragement to you then is to maybe just live your life. Live the life that God has called you to live. Don't put your life on hold because you think all there is to your life is to get married. Married couples, can I just say, do you think all there is to life is to get married? No, right? Marriage isn't that great. I mean, it's good. <laughs> but it ain't the end all be all, right, guys? I mean, think about this. I mean, some of our married couples, you got to sit down with some of our singles folks because some people are putting, you're putting your life on hold until you get married. Why? God wants you to live the life. He's got plans for you, a future that will prosper you. With or without a spouse, will you begin to live that? Do you know the Bible affirms the life of a single person as much as it affirms the life of a married person? Because the two greatest people that we find in the Bible were both single, Jesus and Paul the Apostle. And so there is so much that you can encounter in life. You don't have to wait and put your life on hold till you get married, till, till you get to start experiencing that. Start living it. God's got plans for you. And maybe as you start to live out the plans that God has for you, then you'll meet someone. I think that might be the case. Some of you are putting your lives on hold and you're just waiting. But there are dreams and there are plans that God has for you. Go and live it. Go and live it. Now, I do have to say this. There might be a case where some of you, I know you want to get married, but you may never get married. I say this with the utmost empathy. I'm sorry, and my heart breaks for you. It really does. But I will say this. You not only can survive, but you can still thrive without a husband or a wife. You not only can survive, but you can thrive without having sex. Some of you think you can't live without sex. That's because your sinful nature, that's your sinful nature talking. You can. You can survive without it. You know, when I was in seminary, I met this older sister and, you know, she was brilliant. I loved studying with her because she always helped me to do better on my tests. And she was older, she was Korean. And, you know, when you have an older sister like in, uh, that, that you're friends with, you call her Nuna. And I said to her, as we were eating lunch one day, I said, hey, um, do you, do you want to get married? Because we never really talked about you know, relationships. And I just think she was just this amazing woman. And she said, oh, no. She goes, I do want to get married. But she said, but Peter, I am not going to put my life on hold. God has plans for me, and I'm going to live into that. And as I live into it, if I get married, I get married. But if not, I'm going to continue to live the fullness of this life that God has called me to live. I went like, you go, sister. <laughs> Wow, that was beautiful. I just couldn't believe the authority in which she said that with. It's like, I don't need a man to determine my value and my worth. God is the one who does that. 
He's calling me to do things with my life, and I'm going to live it out. And if I find somebody in the process of me doing it, then good. But if I don't, I'm still going to live passionately for God. You can live, hear me on this, single folks, you can live a complete and full, thriving life without being married. Amen? Amen. I know some of you are saying easy for you to say because you're married. I get that. I get that. I say that with the utmost respect to you. All right? Because sex is about getting to know our spouse intimately, I got to talk to you about masturbation for just a moment. Because I know sometimes a lot of single folks, they have a question about masturbation. Is it sin or is it not? What does the Bible have to say about masturbation? There is nothing that the Bible, there is no scripture verse that explicitly says do not masturbate. Okay? There is no verse that says that. However, the closest thing that we get to it is Matthew 5, 27 and 28. So if you have your Bibles, just turn there with me. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's probably the best verse that's out there that talks about this. Because when you and I choose to masturbate, you don't masturbate to air. Many times when you masturbate, you're fantasizing about somebody. You're watching porn. Something is happening where you're thinking about somebody else in a lustful way. And that's why at the end of the day, masturbation is wrong. I don't want you to think, I'm just going to masturbate and it's not a sin. I I hope that you can have this proper theology, integrating your sexuality with your spirituality, and you realize that it is a sin. So when you do masturbate, confess and ask God to forgive you. Because what masturbation does is that it teaches you that you can have sex with yourself. You don't need anyone else. And I have counseled many marriages where the marriages have been struggling. Why? Because one of the spouse, one of the spouses cannot stop masturbating. In fact, one guy told me he would rather masturbate than have sex with his wife. Don't you think that hurts a marriage? Don't you think that destroys what the wife sees in herself? Masturbation, you know how they say marijuana is like the gateway drug? Masturbation is the gateway to all sexual forms of perversion. Because you don't just masturbate to a tree. You don't masturbate to air. You usually masturbate fantasizing about some type of sexual perversion. Jesus says, even if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery. So repent. I know it's hard. I know some of us have these restless urges. But I do hope that you would understand that when we do, if you do do it, ask God to forgive you of that sin that he would cleanse you from it. All right? Sex was created so that we can create intimacy with our spouse. The last thing, the Bible teaches us that sex allows us to know ourselves intimately. The Bible teaches that sex allows us to know ourselves intimately. Look at what it says in verse 18 of chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took one, took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made, uh, the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed. You didn't know that Adam was turned on here. At last, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. 
This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. I say this in a lot of my marriage counseling sessions. I tell the spouse, you two have to learn to be naked all the time. Because if if the only time you guys get naked is when you have sex, you guys don't have true intimacy. Adam and Eve were both naked. They weren't having sex, and they felt no shame. That's intimacy. Sex not only helps you to know your spouse intimately, but it helps you to know yourself intimately as, as well. In verse 18, God says, I will make a helper suitable for Adam. A helper, because God says it is not good for a man to be alone. Now, prior to Eve being created, Adam had a relationship with the animals, but it was not a suitable partner for him. It was not good enough for God. And so God gave Adam a helper. Now, let me just define that word helper in the Hebrew. That word helper is is, is ezer, and uh, it comes from the verb azar, all right? The word doesn't necessarily have like an assistant uh, kind of like a servant connotation, because sometimes when you think of that word helper, you think, well, it's an assistant or a server. No, that's not what Ezer means. In fact, that word Ezer, Azar, is used in the Old Testament to describe God's relationship with Israel. What it really means, it means to save or to deliver. So why did God create Eve? Why did God feel the necessity to create Eve? Was because she had to save or deliver Adam. Right? And so women, if, God, if, if a guy ever says to you, we were created first, all you have to say is, yeah, God created you first so that I could save and deliver you. That's the best way to come about saying it. I am your Ezer. I am the one who saved and delivered you. But what we learned here in Genesis 2, verses 21 to 23, is that prior to Eve being created, Adam had no idea what it was like to be a male, which is the Hebrew word ish. If we went to him and said, hey, how does it feel to be a male? He said, he would say, what is a male? I don't know what a male is. He only knew that he was a man when Eve was created. So that's why Adam said, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, I will call her Isha, which is, I will call her woman. And this is where we get our sexual drive, Metro. This is the reason why we all have this urge to engage in sex because male and female are driven towards each other so that we can come together in one flesh, so that we can not only know each other, but so that we can know ourselves more intimately as well. All right? Now, some of you are saying, okay, well, that happened because there were no other people but Adam and Eve, right? What about now? Yeah, I don't, I don't think the passage necessarily maybe uh, it rings totally true for us now because we have so many folks. We have tons of men and women, but it does in some ways because sex is a character-shaping act. Here's what I want to say. You will know who you are, what type of character you are as a person by asking yourself, how do I practice sex? You'll learn a lot about yourself because sex is a character-shaping act. I want to encourage you to know that sex is a gift that God has created so that we can know our spouse intimately, but also so that we can begin to know more about ourselves. How do you practice sex? It'll say a lot about the type of person you are. It'll teach you a lot about your own character. Genesis 2.24 says that sex is a gift in which God has given to us that should be practiced within the confines of marriage. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined together with his wife and the two are united into one. Sex allows us to truly know ourselves as male and female. Sex allows us to build intimacy with our spouse. And sex was created by God, so therefore it is good. You can integrate your spirituality and your sexuality with your sexual drive and your experiences. Amen? Amen. 
Well, I know for some, this is hard. This isn't easy. I get it. I know for some of you, um, you have actual legit addictions with sex. In my profession, this is one of the greatest sins pastors and clergy struggles with, and you read it all over the news regularly. This is a huge temptation. And I know for some of us, this is, has lust or our lustful patterns or sexual perversions have become sort of a lifestyle rather than just a once in a while kind of a practice. If you've listened to my podcast, I, I started a podcast back in February called Week Pastor. I'm pretty open about my struggles with lust. And uh, I've struggled with lust my entire life since I hit puberty. And part of that was because I had such a broken life. I grew up in kind of a really broken home. And so because when you start to struggle with that kind of life and you struggle with your own self-worth and identity, all of that stuff, and you begin to have a lot of these emotional issues about yourself, um, sex becomes a form of an addiction. And if I'm just gonna be quite frank with you, as soon as I married Jenny, I struggled with the sin of adultery. Maybe months later, but it was true, it was real, it was there. I struggled with pornography, I struggled with masturbation, it was all part of a feeding this addictive, broken self of mine. And I hated that version of who I was, I really did. And, uh, and you know, when I, you would think like, once you went into ministry, was it easier? No. And that's the odd thing. You think once you go into like ministry, some of you say, well, you know, once I get married, I'm not going to masturbate anymore. I'm not going to watch porn anymore. BS. It's going to get worse. I guarantee you if you don't do anything about it now, it will get worse. And when I was in my 30s and I was in ministry, I thought there was something wrong with me. Because the level of like thoughts and sexual perversions that invaded my mind, I couldn't silence those voices many times. And without a shadow of a doubt, if it wasn't for my soulmates, and this is why I believe in soulmates so much. This is why I will speak to you about it almost every week. If it wasn't for my soulmates, there is no way I would have stayed sexually pure. There is no way I would have been pure. There was no way I would have committed adultery without them. I still remember Alex when we started confessing stuff, and he said, Peter, you and I need to write a resignation letter to the church. The moment we confess that we've committed adultery, we got to hand in our resignation. I mean, it went that far and that deep. And we have to take that seriously. But you know what I realized? It takes a village, man. It wasn't just them that helped me through it. I went into counseling and I started working on my junk, a lot of stuff of my past that really made me messed up. And through my counselor, he helped me so much to process some of this stuff to really help me to see who I truly am before God, that I'm a child of God. I'm not just a child of a broken father who didn't have a lot of, who had a lot of issues that abused his child. That, I'm, I'm, that's not who I am. I'm actually a child of God and he helped me to process that. As I met somebody like Peace Cazero and read his book on emotionally healthy spirit, Spirituality, I started to apply those principles in my life and I started to get more emotionally healthy. And you know what started happening just very naturally? I no longer became addicted to those sexual things anymore. Did I ever struggle with it from time to time? Of course I did. I'm a human being, but it no longer governed and controlled my life. And what I'm here to say is simply this, that whatever sort of sexual addictions you might have here today, you're not alone. It's not that you're this evil person. Really what it is is that you've gone through some tough things in your life and you're so broken and wounded and you're trying to find an outlet to deal with the void that's in your heart. 
You gotta get emotionally healthy. You gotta sit down with a professional to help you to work through some of this stuff because you are so much more than the summation of your brokenness. You are so much more than that. I have one of the best marriage coaches around. All right, you gotta get a marriage coach. What's a marriage coach? Some of you are like, how do I find one? Just find a couple that you respect their marriage and say, will you coach us? Every single one of you, if you're married, you need a marriage coach. Don't expect me to give you one. Go find one for yourself. You have a whole bunch of people in this church. If you respect someone's marriage, say, will you coach us? Man, my marriage coach, when I talk to him, he says, hey, have you done skin to skin with your spouse? You know what skin to skin is? You get naked with your spouse for 20 minutes and you lie in bed without having sex. He said, how many times do you want to do that with your wife? I was like, oh, I don't know. You got to ask her, not me. We said three times. He goes, okay, I'm going to hold you to that. First thing, every time I call him, have you done three times a week? Are you falling? I'm like, yeah, kind of. You got to find a coach. Listen, it takes a village. It takes a village to help you to deal with your sexual brokenness, your sexual perversions. It's not because you're evil. A lot of times it's because you're so broken. And your body's looking for an outlet, is looking for a release. I want to encourage you that God has so much more for you and you are so much more than just a summation of your ideas and your fantasies and all that stuff. God has dreams that you will be able to have sex with your spouse one day and it will be so good. Not only will you get to know them well, but you'll begin to learn more about yourself. I've been married for 23 years, 23 years. And I have learned over those 23 years, it's taken a while to integrate my sexuality with my spirituality. What I call that is I call that sacred sex. And I know my wife's here, my kids are here, and they're like, stop talking about this. <laughs> 23 years. Sex is better today than it was when I first married her. And I'm not lying. That's true. You can even ask her. Right? <laughs> one on one. <laughs> She's never going to come up here. Why? Because we took some classes, we watched some videos. No, it's because we're learning to integrate our faith and our faith in the Lord with our sexuality. And when the Holy Spirit's a part of you, don't you think God can give you a much better orgasm? Yeah, he can. Much better. But you're going to have to believe today. Will you believe that God created sex and it's good? Will you truly believe that God wants you to experience sex within the confines of your spouse? so that you can know them intimately? Will you believe that sex was given to you, our sexual drive is so that you and I can learn more about ourselves? God created sex, and because he created it, he really does care about how you practice it. May you practice it in such a way where you bring glory and honor to our Father in heaven. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. I'm going to give you a moment. God's here. This is your time to get deep with him. Go to him. Confess the things you might have to confess. But more importantly, could you just pray that God would help you to integrate your spirituality with your sexuality? Could you 
ask God to help you to not only create a theology of this, but a theology of practice, where your sexuality will no longer be devoid of your spirituality in God. I wanna give you a moment to do that, but before that, if you haven't repented of some of your sexual sins, I want you to do that. And let me just say this to some of our folks here. Married couples, if you're committing adultery or if you have committed adultery and your spouse doesn't know, I'm, I'm asking you, this is the first step. You gotta confess this to a soulmate or to somebody. You gotta shed some light into this because if you don't, that will be a normative pattern for your life. And you know that's true. And for you single folks, I wanna encourage you, for some of you single folks, you have casual sex. You have people on your cell phone that you can just call and have sex with regularly. I'm gonna ask you to be a born again virgin. I'm gonna ask you to embrace a life of celibacy until you find that person that God has called you to be with. Would you do that today? And pray and ask you God to give you strength to be a born again virgin. So why don't you just go to God and then I'll just close us in prayer. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is the raising of a hand and asking for prayer. Every, high, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're struggling with lust, if it's been really a hard battle for you and you just want some prayer, would you just raise your hand and I'll just say, Peter, would you please pray for me today? And I'll pray for you. If you're struggling with them, you want prayer, I'll pray for you. You can put your hand down, I see your hands. I see your hands, you can put it down. Anyone else saying, Peter, I'm struggling with this. I'll pray for you. Lord, I pray that you would bring light into every area of our life. And I pray that for those who've raised their hands, God, that you would help them in this journey and this struggle. I pray, God, that you would uh, convince each and every one of us that there should never be a secretive life when it comes to our sexual experiences. God, that you want us to shed light, and one of the best ways in how we do that is to begin to start to confess it. And so, God, I just pray that you'll be with our church. I pray you'll be with everyone here. God, that we would be able to integrate our spirituality with our sexuality, God. I pray that you would bless every marriage. I pray for those marriages that are struggling right now. I pray for those couples that don't even have sex anymore, maybe once in a while. God, I pray that you renew a passion within them so they begin to have passion the way you have passion for their spouse. I pray for every single person, God, that you would help them, Lord, especially those that are struggling with their singleness to a point, God, where they feel like their life is not gonna matter until they get married. I pray that those lies would be silenced. I pray that you would get rid of those lies and God, that they would realize today that their lives can be full, it can be perfect, even while they're single, as they live their life for you. So just be with them. And I pray for those in the single community that are sexually active. God, I pray that you would give them sexual integrity that they would confess, and God, that they would want to bring their sexuality and their spirituality together, and that they would honor you in such ways. And I pray that you would show them 
the blessings and the bounty and how they could be prosperous and living that kind of life when they honor you with their sexuality. And so God, would you just be with us as a church? Would you guide us through this time? I thank you that we can talk about difficult subjects like this. And I just pray that this wouldn't just go in one year and out the other, but would you help us to process this throughout the entire week? And I pray that we would take this seriously because our spirituality does matter and our future spouse does matter and our spouse today, if we're married, does matter. And so God, would you just help us and guide us? And it's in your name that we pray, amen, amen.